Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Well, so, our good friend John Lennon has been shorn. Yes. How does it feel? It feels quite comfortable out here. Uh, it's yeah. not too short, though. Not at all. I was telling uh, uh, Michael before that you look a little like Bob Dylan this way. Have you noticed it? Uh, Anybody uh, else tell you that? Two people said it's because yeah. they're standing on end. It's, it's, uh, it's very becoming, John, honestly. Yeah. I think it's easy to get used to, huh? It's quite easy to get used to. It's full of sand and all rubbish, you know. Think it'll take uh, long to grow back? No. It looks quite normal at night when I comb it, if I can get my comb through it. You know, you wouldn't know it wasn't just the back's short and no sideboards. This uh, must surely be one of the most unusual locations in the world, John. I wonder if you could describe it and tell us exactly where we are and what's going on here. <laughs> You're asking me where we are. Well, you know, as far as I know, we're somewhere in Spain. It could be anywhere for all I know, actually. And it's just like a... I don't know, it's like a dump, really. It's like the moon, you know, just desert and sand and hills and mountains. But not very nice to look at, but the weather's okay, now and then. Beautiful weather. What a perfect spot for this picture, I guess. This is supposed to represent what? North Africa, and I believe it's pretty similar. Mm. First dramatic role, huh, John? Well, dramatic's a good word. <laughs> First role, really. The others were just messing about. How do you take to it? How does it come to you? Well, sometimes it comes hard, and sometimes it comes easy. You know, it depends on the day. Do you, do you like it? Do you find it natural to, to be an actor? Well, some of it's natural. The most unnatural bits are, are hard, you know, the ones that are really out of character from me. And, uh, but it, it's, it's all right, you know, but it's not, it's not the be-all and end-all for me. But you do like it. You like to do more of it, huh? I think I'd do limited amounts of stuff. Because I, I am limited in what I could do. Yeah. Well, really, you don't know until you try. No, I don't, but I'd, I don't want to be trying myself out in films. It's too public. Where's the inspiration come from, or is it just craftsmanship? I mean, can you just sit down at a given time and say, we have to write now, and out it comes? Well, sometimes it comes like that, you know, sometimes they say, now you must write, and now we write. But it doesn't come, somebody we sit there for days, just talking to each other, messing around, not doing anything. I'm delighted to see that uh, your last tour was such a smash for you, you know, in view of the pressure that you were under. I was thrilled that it came out as well as it did, you know? I was uh, pleased myself. Uh, such a ridiculous thing happened uh, but, uh, on this experience that you had. I want to know, just to wrap this thing up, what kind of reflections you had on that whole thing, John? Well, now it's just like a bad dream, you know? It's, it's just way in the back of my mind somewhere, and it just comes back when you read things, just odd things that crop up now and then. Like Cardinal so-and-so says it's okay. Yeah. When are you going to be doing uh, another tour, do you know? No idea. I know we've got music to write as soon as we get back. And Paul's just signed us up to write the music for a film. So I suppose it's off the plane and into bed and knock, 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 get up and write some songs. A film that's not your own? Yes. Very exciting. Uh, all in good time. With, they've made it. Now, what's the name? What's the name of her in it? Hayley Mills. Hayley Mills, that's it. She's in Marvelous. it. So Bert Backlash going to have a little competition, huh? Uh, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, John. Will all the guys go out and do things on their own now, do you think? Well, if they feel like, you know. 
for something to do. I think it's time to spread your wings. Why not? Yeah, there's lots to be done. You've know. you got the store going for you all the time. And whatever else you want to do on the side. Yeah, we'll just try our best at whatever we're doing. It's the main thing. It's always great to see you, Johnny. Ditto, Fred. See you. This is John Lennon saying goodbye from the set in Almeria, Spain, of How I Run the War. Ta-da, well. With the decision made to end touring, the Beatles gave themselves the time and the headspace to do what they loved most, creating new music. But it also allowed the four members of the band to explore other avenues of creativity without necessarily having the other three involved. George flew out to India to learn more about philosophy and the sitar. Paul hunkered down in London to write the score for the new Hayley Mills feature film, The Family Way, and Ringo spent time with his young family. John's solo project came about through Dick Lester, director of the Beatles' first two films, A Hard Day's Night and Help. Lester asked John to play the part of Private Gripweed in his latest movie, How I Won the War, a surreal examination of a small and highly dysfunctional group of British soldiers fighting the Germans in North Africa in World War II. John's acceptance of the minor role saw him filming in West Germany and then Almeria in Spain for seven weeks between September and early November 1966 to recreate the deserts of North Africa. Early mornings of filming left John with plenty of downtime in the afternoons and evenings, which he put to good use writing new songs for the next Beatles album. In this episode, we'll dive deep into the creation of a psychedelic anthem, following the song from its humble conception to its spectacular birth. John revisited the idea of a nostalgic glimpse into his childhood, first considered in the original lyrics of In My Life from Rubber Soul, which referenced several of John's haunts when he lived with his aunt Mimi at Mendips on Menlove Avenue including Penny Lane. That particular location would be used by Paul at the same time for his next contribution. And not far from Mendips was the place which would provide John with his inspiration. Well, Strawberry Fields is a song that John had because he used to live next door to this place called Strawberry Fields, which was a Salvation Army place for kids. And he used to bunk over and it was his little magic garden to sort of play in. So whenever I went to visit him, he'd sort of say, hey, you know, and we'd go past and he said, this is Strawberry Fields, and he'd give me the gin on it. Strawberry Fields I wrote when I was making How I Won the War in Almeria, Spain. It's a um, Salvation Army home that was near the house I lived in with my auntie in the suburbs. Although I took the name as, a, as an image. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's just no, it's a bit of messy and then let's get away to Strawberry Fields. A bit of messy and let's get away to Strawberry Fields. It's just, uh-huh. you know. In his hotel room in Almeria, armed only with a nylon string guitar and a small portable tape recorder, John captured the seed of what would become a Beatles masterpiece.
the first ever sounds of Strawberry Fields Forever, not yet featuring the name of the place in its lyrics. John continued to craft the song, recording various versions on this early composing tape. After shifting to a room with more natural echo, perhaps a corridor or even the bathroom, and sounding much more like the finished song's structure and chord progression, we finally hear the song's title emerge. Returning to Kenwood on the 7th of November 1966, with the seed of his new song ready to germinate, 
John retreated to his home studio to work further on Strawberry Fields Forever. This time, with more instruments and recording equipment at his disposal, the song received a slightly heavier treatment than his first demos. first electric guitar demo of Strawberry Fields, complete with the second guitar overdubbed for good measure. Several more attempts would follow, this time including a virtually complete set of lyrics. polished demo, complete with double track guitars and vocals. With the chord progressions and lyrics almost locked in, 
John still tinkered with the song's feel and rhythms, and recorded these attempts much closer now to the version that he would present to the Beatles and George Martin on the floor of Abbey Road Studio 2 in just a few days' time. Always one to experiment with sounds, John wouldn't be content to leave his demos of Strawberry Fields in such a basic state. They needed further enhancement, and in his music room upstairs at Kenwood, John had some cutting-edge musical technology 
which would provide the sounds he wanted. Enjoy the music for a minute before we let personality Eric Robinson explain. I suppose you thought you were listening to a long playing record just then. Well, you weren't. You were listening to a new instrument that David Nixon and I have helped develop in this country. It makes the actual sounds of the orchestra. So come over and meet my son-in-law with you and the Metatron. Well, explain how it works, will you? Well, actually, it's fairly straightforward. It's a musical computer, and as you know, Eric, the right hand is lead instruments with a choice of 18 different ones, and the left hand is rhythms in this half, and backgrounds in this half, and it's all been fed onto hundreds of tape tracks. All right, well, I suggest that uh, you play a little simple piece. What about it? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> we had this strange and weird beast of an instrument called the Mellotron, and the principle of it was basic enough. It was a pretty good idea, except that it really was a, a bastard sound. I mean, the idea was that each key that you press down would trigger a tape to go past a recording head and give you a particular recording of a particular instrument at a particular pitch. So you would have a violin sound or a French horn or a cor anglais or an oboe or whatever, and every time you press down the right key to the right instrument, you would get these sounds. If you hung on too long, it would have to flip back again, so you'd get a kind of boink! at the end of it, and start again. But there was tremendous wow on the tape as it went past the head. So the instruments that you were supposed to be hearing weren't the instruments that you expected. These were the original synthesizers. I must say, when we first saw them come in, we never thought we'd get them past the musicians' union. We thought someone would be ringing up saying, oh, that's taking musicians' jobs. Because it was, you know, like synthesizers have since. But uh, EMI had one. And we used to record there. So, again, you know, it was available to us. So, um, you know, round about those days, it's also sort of a little bit sleazy, a little bit cabaret, but you get stuff like this. I, I love the sound. Ooh, come on, baby. Can I buy you a drink? Oh, all right. Where are you from, then? I'm with the government. All right. I'll have a tune in it. Well, come on, baby, my little darling, want a drink with me? Come on, honey, maybe we'll go back to my flat, my flat. I'll go on in, twist my arm. Yeah. It's back. Yeah. You see, you can have acres of fun on these things. Oh, boy, I tell you, if you see what I mean about the sleaziness of it all, I love it. Our friends. Welcome to the castle. <laughs> Quite a windy night out here. <laughs> but you know, I always love it here in Hirschwig von Schlöchstein. Who's this Hans character? I've never heard of him. <laughs> Don't worry, my darling. <laughs> We're all together. <laughs> Woo! You can have a, a lot of fun on these things. Oh, I'll tell you. Is there any to be going now? Thank you. 
John added various Mellotron overdubs to his home demos, including the ones we just heard, using the wine glasses setting for the verses and the pipe organ setting for the choruses. Another snippet of tape, probably from around the same time, gives another tantalizing taste of what was to come. <laughs> A home recording of John pretending to talk backwards in a Scottish accent, and the Mellotron sounds called Swinging Flutes, the very same sound which would become part of the final recording. With the demos complete and a clearer picture of what he wanted, John took the song to Abbey Road Studios to begin work on its recording on the 24th of November, 1966. We'd never done anything quite like that before because Strawberry Fields was a unique song wonderful song and when John first played it to me he would always come and stand in front of me with his guitar and strum away and it was a magical moment when, you know, the first time you hear something like that when John wrote the song originally it didn't begin the way it began we begin on, on, on our record with the chorus let me take you down that one but when I first heard it he was singing the verse Living is easy with eyes closed. But the first time he demoed the record, the second verse was the first verse. So he sort of swapped around all, like mad all the time. Take one.
misunderstanding all you see It's getting hard to be someone but it all works out It doesn't matter much to me Only one take of Strawberry Fields Forever was recorded this evening, featuring John on acoustic guitar and lead vocals, Paul on John's own Mellotron, brought specially into the studio from John's home in Surrey, and of course Ringo on drums. It's important to remember that the Beatles were still being made to record on four-track tape, which meant that as soon as the four tracks of one tape were full, they had to be carefully mixed down, or reduced, to one or two tracks on a fresh tape, thus creating two or three more tracks, free for further overdubs. Each reduction to a new tape caused a slight loss in sound quality, so it was crucial to use every track to its fullest and use reductions sparingly. Overdubs were then added to the vacant tracks on take one, including Paul's bass, George playing slide guitar sounds on the Mellotron, and maracas from Ringo. Vocal overdubs then followed, including a double-track lead vocal from John and backing vocals from John, Paul and George. Living is easy with eyes closed Misunderstanding all you see It's getting hard to be someone but it all works out It doesn't matter much to me No one I think is in my tree I mean it must be 
can't, you know, tune in, but it's all right. That is, I think it's not too bad. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. Nothing is real, and nothing to get hung about. Strawberry Fields forever. With Take One sounding more like an elaborate studio demo recording rather than a finished master, the Beatles would let the song ferment for a few days, before returning to re-record a whole new backing track on the 28th of November, this time incorporating the sound and the melody which would make it instantly recognisable to this day. This is uh, a Mellotron, 60s instrument that uh, was a forerunner of the synthesizer. And the idea was that it was, it's tape loops. It's, uh, it's like a tape cassette. You play one of the keys and it will play uh, string sounds or a trumpet or flutes. And probably the most famous use, uh, we as the Beatles put it to, um, was on the front of one of our records, which like, went like this. What a great thing it was for us, because it became the opening to Strawberry Fields. Uh, you know, with the Emolotron playing those notes, which was on the flute stop, by the way. Very, very simple little melody, but it was iconic. And you hear that today, and you're instantly what it was. And it was just a crude instrument, really. Today you get much better, but it was of its time, and it was good. Thank you. 
Takes two to four of the remake of Strawberry Fields Forever. Take two was an attempt to record the backing track and take three, a brief breakdown. However, take four was complete with George's mixture of slide guitar and Morse code like bleeps on the Mellotron, a slowed down lead vocal from John and a bass overdub from Paul. Three rough mono mixes were prepared for consideration, but John felt that another remake was needed with the same instrumentation and arrangement, but hoping for a better performance. The 29th of November saw the Beatles gather again in Studio 2 at 2pm, ready to begin the latest incarnation of the song. The band began again by rehearsing the basic tracks of drums, mellotron, guitar and maracas, Paul preferring to add his bass later, which was becoming standard practice for the Beatles. Then it was time for the remake.
Take five, a very brief breakdown, and take six of the re-remake of Strawberry Fields. The Beatles were happy with take six, so it was treated to overdubs of John's lead vocal, Paul's bass guitar, and yet more Mellotron. With the four tracks of the tape now full, a reduction mix to a new tape was made, this time called Take Seven, making room for John to double track his lead vocals on the choruses. Strawberry Fields forever. Take seven, remix from four tracks. Take six. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to strawberry field. Standing all you 
Rough mixes of Take 7 were made and acetates cut for the band to take home to digest. But after a week of listening to it, they still weren't satisfied, particularly John. He had a radical idea to start the song from scratch, again. A new rhythm track was needed, and it would be a completely different approach from previous efforts. On the 8th of December 1966, Ringo recorded a simple hi-hat part at a significantly faster tempo than previous versions, which was then reversed to create a swooshing effect that would be used to keep time for all other instruments. Takes 9 to 24 saw Ringo's full kit overdubbed, and all hands were on deck, Paul, George, John, as well as Beatles assistants Mal Evans and Neil Aspinall, to do their duties on tambourine, timpani, bongos, maracas, finger cymbals, even a gourd. Add to this some spoken gibberish from John, and the bed for the new version was created. The first 2 minutes 24 seconds of take 15 were spliced onto the end of take 24. The result was spectacular. Listen out for John's famously fruity comments towards the end. following afternoon saw a reduction mix of the full four tracks down to one track of a fresh reel, and called Take 25. Overdubs of backwards hi-hat and tom-toms from Ringo, Mellotron from George and John, including the swinging flute setting we heard in John's earlier home demo, electric guitar from Paul, and George's Swarmandel, an Indian instrument similar to an auto-harp, were all recorded one after the other as separate mini-performances onto a single track of the new tape. 
With the enhanced rhythm track in place for the musicians to play along to, trumpet and cello sections, written and arranged by George Martin of course, were added to take 25 on the 15th of December 1966. I said, OK, give it another whirl. What, but what do you want that's different? He said, I'd like you to do a score. I'd like you to write some other instruments in it for me. I said, what kind of thing? He said, well, a bit of brass, a bit of strings, that kind of thing. You know what to do. So I went away and wrote a score. And when I did, I altered the pitch because I wanted to be able to use the bottom note of a cello, which is C. So I, I altered the score so that I could get that C.
With all four tracks of yet another tape full, a reduction mix to tracks 1 and 2 of a new tape was made, this time called Take 26, leaving two free tracks for vocals to be added, again recorded using very speed to make them sound higher on playback. Take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry fields Nothing is real And nothing to get hung about Strawberry fields forever Further vocals on the 21st of December replaced these ones, and take 26 was deemed complete. For now, anyway. Paul and George Martin 
explained what happened next. We weren't happy with the first take completely. We weren't completely happy with it. We liked a bit of it. I'm not sure it was the first half or the second half, but John liked one half of it. But that was enough for us to not really like that take, so we dumped that one and did another take. And it turned out John liked half of that too. And they were actually at different tempos. You know, one was a little bit faster than the other. John just turned to George and said, couldn't I have half of that one and half of the other? Stick them together and see what we get. John came back and said, it's pretty good, but there's still a lot of the old one I like. I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, well, can't you take the beginning of the old one and then the end of the new one? I said, there's only two things wrong with that, John. That is, they're in different keys and they've got different tempos. And he looked at me every spectacle and he said, I'm sure you can fix it. And I thought, you devil. He just walked away from me. You expect miracles as a standard, you know. And I looked at it and I thought about it. And of course, God was helping me in a the, in the way because the faster one was also the sharper one. And by, by adjusting the speeds of the two, I could get them almost in line with each other from a rhythmic point of view. I got them in line with each other from a tone point of view. John wanted the first half of take seven to open the song and the second half of take 26 to end it. With a complex musical conundrum to solve, a remix of take seven was made, slightly increased in speed, thus raising the pitch from its original A to something around B flat, like this. Next, a remix of Take 26 was made, this time slightly reduced in speed, thereby lowering the pitch from its original C to something around B flat, like this. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to strawberry fields. Nothing is real, and nothing to get hung about. George Martin and recording engineer Jeff Emmerich then spliced together the two tracks, and in a moment of pure good fortune, the two pieces matched perfectly. And I cut the two together, and the cut I can hear in my sleep, I know exactly where it is, sticks out like a sore thumb, but most people don't know. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to. And when John heard it, he said, You see, I told you. I knew you could do it. And he just regarded it as normal. You know, you can do that kind of thing. But it was a question of getting out of a bit of tape and with a pair of brass scissors cutting it and joining it up again. Nowadays, you don't have to do that. And it's wonderful. But another issue to contend with was the looseness of the rhythmic section of the ending of the song. George Martin explains the unorthodox way in which this was fixed. There were about 11 people banging instruments in, at the end of this. And it goes complete out of time, and Ringo managed to pull it back again. I could have just faded it down. But there was a bit later on that was so good. It was a Mellotron thing that I really wanted to have. What we did was we faded it down, got rid of the out-of-time bit, 
and then faded up again when it was back in time. And people thought, what a clever stunt. With an unprecedented amount of time, energy and remakes devoted to a single song, a total of 12 different sessions over 35 days, a masterpiece was born. Thank you. 
Strawberry Fields Forever would famously not end up on the Beatles' next album. Instead, it was Rush released by EMI as a double A-sided single with Paul's Penny Lane in February 1967, two sides with very similar childhood reminiscences at their cores. John always listed Strawberry Fields Forever, alongside Help and I Am the Walrus, as the best of his Beatle-era songs. But he wasn't necessarily happy with how they sounded. It's fantastic to me, maybe, at certain points when you're doing it. Mm. And then after that, you can't listen to it objectively. And it takes till about now, say, mm. to really listen to it and understand what you're really talking about. John, you see, John always thought in his mind that the music was there. And reality never pleased him. It was so much better in his head. And uh, I don't think he was ever satisfied. And in fact, we were having a chat one night uh, just before he died. And he said, you know, George, if I could, I'd record everything again that we did. And I groaned and I said, you can't be serious. I said, we did some great stuff, John. He said, no, it could be better. I said, what about Strawberry Fields Forever? And he looked at me, lowered his glasses and said, especially Strawberry Fields. <laughs> because it's real, yeah, you know. I mean, it was real for then. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we head back into the studio as the Beatles begin the album, which would change the world of popular music forever. Until next time, 